Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for joining us here for this episode of uh, Reformed Podmatics on the issue of fundamentalists and fundamentalism. And um, just in in case you are joining us for the first time or one of the first times here, um, we might introduce ourselves again, remind a few people of who we are, where we're sitting. <laughs> good point. Um, I am lead pastor at Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church, which is a a long name for a church. It's five <laughs> words. Um, <laughs> I know that the trend now is to have short two, two names words. of church. Thrive Church, you know, Elevation Church, sometimes just the village or something like that. Um, but we are Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church, and uh, of course in the Christian Reformed Church of North America, with, which is a Calvinist um, historically Dutch, but um, hopefully increasingly ethnically diverse um, yep. denomination. And uh, we are in Ripon, California, which is smack dab in the middle of the state. I always tell people, hmm. if you look at the map of California and you put your finger right right in the middle there, um, you probably would get pretty close to Ripon. Yeah, so, so that puts us a little bit what, or east of San Francisco, yep, yep. west of Tahoe, although we are south of Tahoe as well. Yeah, We're yeah. Far about, above Southern California. Uh, but I We always say it's two hours from everything, you know. We're, that's true. We're two hours to the beach in Santa Cruz, and we're two hours to Lake Tahoe and Yosemite and right in the middle Uh, so anyways it's hopefully um, as we get more people on board who are listening um, you can uh, especially if you're local uh, we'd love to to meet with you but uh, you could get to know us um, virtually right now at least through the podcast yeah I am Pastor Zach I guess I'm the associate pastor it's still kind of in limbo (laughs) associate or youth pastor or whatever Um, pastor assistant I don't know um, but yeah, I'm just basically the sidekick here <laughs> and <laughs> we, we do this, this podcast really just to help people think about, uh, their faith and about the Bible throughout the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thank you guys for taking the time out of your schedules, uh, and joining us for a conversation today. Yeah. And, uh, we are talking about fundamentalists, fundamentalism, um, much like the word stuff. evangelical, it has a lot of different meanings, and yeah. um, I think that we could just get started by saying there. I think there are two main definitions of hmm. fundamentalist. There is the historic, academic, or theological definition, hmm. which both Zach and I regard as a, a positive thing to be a fundamentalist in that sense, the one who holds to the fundamentals of the Christian faith is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there is the more populist or popular understanding or usage of the word that is um, generally a negative thing uh, or even a, an insult that somebody might launch at somebody else saying, yeah. you're, you're being a fundamentalist because you're close-minded, dogmatic, hmm. um, maybe a little bit more law than grace. Um, I think that that is a, a connotation that's often enfolded in the term. And so uh, we'll be 
talking at first about the origins of fundamentalism and um, how that has kind of been warped and changed and shifted over time to mean something else. So Zach's hmm. the, the he's the scholar in terms of um, the uh, church history and the development of this. Um, and so how did this come about? Where what did fundamental fundamentalism arise out of? You yeah, might say? I I taught a course last semester for our adult, adult Sunday school that looked mm-hmm. at different branches of the Christian faith. And so one of those courses was on fundamentalism. I guess that makes me a scholar <laughs> um, of fundamentalism. But from what I can tell, fundamental fundamentalism really is uh, it's born out of the you could say post revival world in the American church mm-hmm. um, fundamentalism is not really something that is native to other parts of the western world i would say it's its origins really are in america and yeah, in, in the united states yeah. in particular um, and so that's an important place to start i think it really starts as a result of a lot of religious fervor building up in the 19th century uh, you have the 19th century is really one of the most fascinating centuries mm-hmm. of the of the church, of the church's history, and that's for a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons is, that is the development of the sciences that really begin to come into full bloom during mm-hmm. this period. Um, just one example is the Darwinian uh, revolution. Um, you also have the full bur- full bo- full blown sort of. Uh, uh, industrial revolution mm-hmm. where technology is advancing and it's beginning to make its presence known in our society uh, in the western world and so um, you're also living after the enlightenment and there's a strong romantic romantic movement which is mm-hmm. sort of a return to emotions that is a sort of a response to the overly intellectual into or enlightenment movement mm-hmm. so you have all these different things going on in sort of world culture and in history um and one of the general things that begins to happen is that there is a with the with the after the revivals you have a lot of the a lot of religious fervor building up um a lot of uh, revivals are going around there's tent camp revivals there's uh, a lot of excitement. Um, new denominations. New denominations are, are starting, new sort of movements in the church. You have the holiness movement coming out of the Wesleyan revivals. Baptists are just exploding. Baptists, and, yeah. yeah, especially yeah. coming towards the, the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but really Baptists and Methodists were the big yeah. players in the game at this point. Yeah. Um, and out of that Methodist movement, as I said, you have the holiness movement, which then led to the Pentecostal movement right around the turn of the century into the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So it was in the first decade of the 20th century, you have the Azusa Street revivals in Southern California, where we see a lot of new outbreaks of things like speaking in tongues mm-hmm. and prophecies and healings and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and so you have these two different tracks. If you're tracking along with what I'm saying, you'll see that there's, on the one hand, there's lots of religious fervor and excitement and zeal and passion. And then there's also the world is advancing in a different way uh, in the sciences. And that is actually causing a lot of people to question their faith. Mm-hmm. And so fundamentalism, I think, is really uh, born in this sort of milieu um, where there's a tension between what's happening in the academy and what's happening um, in the American church context. Um, and so you could say modernism is on the rise and fundamentalism mm. at its core is really a response to modernism yeah. um, and, and to liberalism. modern theology yeah. and liberalism. 
Um, now, as Mark said, there's kind of a distinction that needs to be made when we talk about the beginnings of fundamentalism. There is sort of the, yeah, the theological definition of fundamentalism, which really boils down, down to a staunch grip on supernatural Christianity, mm. um, not wanting to deny the supernaturalness of Scripture. Um, and so the five fundamentals that were born out of, uh, I believe it was um, one of the Presbyterian denominations in, in the United States, they actually, in their General Assembly, I believe it was in 1910, I should have checked my notes, hmm. um, they put in, in their statement these five fundamentals. And this is really what got the whole uh, word started, yeah. fundamentalism. Uh, those, those five fundamentals were biblical inspiration, the virgin birth of Jesus, belief that Christ's death was an atonement for sin. It wasn't just an example. Um, and then the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the historical reality of the miracles of Jesus. And so you can see in these five points, these are not the five points yeah. of Calvinism, just five commitments that what, what this really boiled down to was a commitment to um, the supernatural. Hmm. One of the big issues taking place in the 19th century and into the 20th century was a demythologization, you could say, of Scripture. Um, yeah, that just looking at it for the moral lessons, basically. Yeah, so yeah. we can kind of toss out the miracles and the mm-hmm. virgin birth and the resurrection, the physical, literal, bodily resurrection. We can kind of get rid of all that stuff. Jesus was just a good teacher. Um, all of the miracles of the Old Testament, those can maybe be explained away or just ignored as fable or or, or myth. Um, and so the response in this period was, no, actually, the Bible is true in all its parts, and therefore we must take take it at its word when mm-hmm. we hear things about the virgin birth or the resurrection of Christ or mir- the miracles that he did or that the apostles did. And so that is how it starts. Um, but eventually, not, not very long into the 20th century, it really begins to get co-opted um, and it becomes, I would say, more militant in, in its mm. aggression against uh, modernist liberal theology. That's liberal theology with a capital L. Yeah. Um, Not liberal in the modern sense of just the political liberalism. Yeah. Uh, liberal in the sense of, um, like you said, being a more philosophical Christian. Yeah. Um, this is what you would find today in some Presbyterian churches or Methodist churches or Lutheran. For sure. Um, what would be called mainline liberalism, which yep. has a, uh, a low view. Uh, if not an antagonistic view towards um, those literal interpretations of various events in Scripture. Yeah, so this really starts, you could say the father of liberal theology is Friedrich Schleiermacher Mm. in the 18th century. Um, He kind of breaks new ground, and then following him there's various other German scholars. It was particularly a pretty German phenomenon in its earliest stages in the 18th and then into the 19th century. Albrecht Ritchel would be another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'd be Adolf von Harnack, who was one of the, the church historians who was a part of the movement, yeah. um, and various others. And then in the 20th century, you have guys like Paul Tillich, um, who would be pretty influential yep. in all of this. Or you have Rudolf Bultmann. Um, there's a long list of very, very famous intellectual liberal theologians and so i don't mean when i say that the <laughs> fundamentalists were responding to liberal theology they weren't just responding to your sort of like rob bells yeah. you know? social liberalism yeah, <laughs> yeah they yeah. were responding to um 
some pretty big things and transitions that were happening yeah. in the academy. Um, particularly in philosophy. And so they're, they're asking, what are our fundamentals? Yeah. And those fundamentals that you listed are pretty much right out of the Apostles' Creed, really. Yes, exactly. That was the <laughs> point I was going to make. It yeah. sounds very much like the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. They're trying to stay committed to fundamental Christianity. And so in that sense, as Mark said, we don't really have any issue with yeah. that. Yeah. We hold to the Apostles' Creed. We believe that miracles are true. We believe that they, these things truly did happen in history mm-hmm. um, and that those fundamentally, uh, excuse the pun, uh, <laughs> changed the way that we view the world. Well, and one thing uh, we noted in our conversation before we hit record was that um, we're, this was initially a very academic uh, yeah. movement. And so this happened, particularly the big school that influenced this movement was Princeton Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. um, which was at the time a kind of a bastion of reformed Calvinist theology. Yeah, B.B. Warfield being... And, yeah, and Charles Hodge, and, yep. um, and, and uh, along with that, a, a man named J. Gresham Machen, M-A-C-H-E-N, who is a great author, great things to say um, mm-hmm. about uh, who Christ is and what his work is, and... Um, what he wrote the, sort of the book on yeah. this whole movement called Christianity and Liberalism, yeah. which was, you could see that as a fundamentalist book. Sure. And so that in that era, fundamentalism, this is this needs to be clear, wasn't the fundamentalism that we think of today. Yeah. Um, and it goes through a shift. Th- that's really almost part of the point of the episode, really, is to say that what started quite well and with, with a lot of academic rigor, with philosophical inquiry, with engaging the um, counter arguments and responding as best we can with biblical yeah. responses, um, I would say in a more reformed kind of way, um, I, I would I would guess that Herman Bavinck would have aligned very closely with those first fundamentalists, yeah. those early fundamentalists. He certainly was friends with many of them. Uh, Cornelius Van Til being one, mm-hmm. and um, Oh, no, Gerhardus Voss, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, uh, yes. He was good friends with Gerhardus Voss, who was... Until was a little later. Yeah, who was um, who was a, a professor um, in in America. And so there there is a good alignment, I would say, with traditional, confessional, historic, reform theology and that original iteration yeah. of fundamentalism. Now, um, of course, we know we're 100 years later, and... Um, we, we want to talk quite a bit during this episode about um, why the popular fundamentalism, that is the very reactive way of thinking about uh, the world, um, is so popular and what many of the dangers are with the current form that is so popular of fundamentalism, which is, um, like I said, kind of a, uh, a way of of thinking about Christianity in in often very just black and white terms where there's there's just one way to interpret mm-hmm. a scripture text or there's just one way to live your life and um, fundamentalism as it is now is is almost pharisaical I would say in many ways of very very yeah. thick boundaries and very small boxes for how yeah. we should be living our life yeah it's it's an interesting thing I would I would imagine that a, a part of the history and I can't say this because I'm not the scholar on all of it, but I do think that a big part of the reason that fundamentalism became so twisted, and now today it is a bad word, and for good reason, I think, yeah. 
Um, I think it's because of the polemical context in which it existed. Mm. It's sort of like the Roman Catholic Protestant polemical mm-hmm. context of the 16th and 17th centuries where there was so much at stake and there was so much even politically at stake that they, the two could almost never see anything good in each other. Yeah. And it was all, it was just like complete You're on rivalry. that side or this side. Um, yeah. And so that polarization effect really made things more uh, I don't know, concrete. The divisions between Protestantism and Catholicism are now so deep that it's hard to even imagine how reconciliation could could happen ever. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, that same sort of thing, I think, happens with the fundamentalist versus liberal theology um, in the 19th and 20th centuries, and that those effects are still even felt today yeah. because there's on both sides, there's such a strong sense of we have to react very strongly to the evils we perceive on the other side. And so we will do another episode on this in a few weeks and talk about liberal theology in a little bit more detail and prog- the history of progressive theology. Yeah. Um, but I think for now, it's good to just say fundamentalism really became known for what it was against. And that this is a good way of sort of pointing out what fundamentalism is. Yeah. It is it is fundamentally it is a uh a theology of antagonism. It's, it's, kind of it's, a, negative it's a negative theology. Yeah. It's it's against something. Um of course it wants to uphold those five original points. Uh but it really becomes so fearful of liberal theology that it really digs in its heels. Mm. And it also then and then you see this really in the first third or so first quarter of the 20th century um it becomes really um sort of almost anabaptistic in the sense that Mm -hmm. it wants to pull away from the world yeah so it it moves away from engaging with the world and trying to set up sort of a a counter culture uh, a counter world almost to um to the, the modern world as it was moving forward that's that's a deep contrast to the liberal theology of this day, which is pretty progressivist in the sense that things are progressively getting better. That was the idea. Mm. And the fundamentalists tended to see things pretty dystopianly. Mm. Things were getting worse. Um, mm-hmm. And so there there was a, a fear of, of public education. Mm. There was the Scopes trials of the early 1920s um, in Tennessee where uh, it was illegal to teach about evolution, but then there was a trial about that. Uh, and that was a huge deal um, in the public schools mm-hmm. of, of Tennessee at that time. And uh, that's even internationally known, this Scopes Monkey Trial. Yep. When people think of American anti-intellectual fundamentalism, yep. that, that would be one of the first things named would be the Scopes Monkey Trial. Yep. And so you see there, that's a good example of anti-science, anti-academy. Um, we want to pull our kids away from the evil out in the world. And so you see a strong dichotomy between Mm. the church and the world and worldliness, which I think we can't deny that there is a, there's a distinction there. Um, The world does have its way of, of living. Um, But the fundamentalist tends to see things very darkly. Things are really bad Mm. um, and we need to be fearful. And even though I think today uh, maybe this is a little bit of a reach, but I think today a lot of fundamentalists will say things like faith over fear. Um, mm. It's ironic because I think that there's a lot of fear <laughs> at heart in those kinds of statements. Um, yeah, so we could think also about w- what makes this so appealing. Why yeah. Why is this black and white way of looking at things 
um, so so attractive to people. And when I when I even ask that question, yeah. I would I would say there are a lot of things that are black and white, especially where Scripture speaks loudly and repetitively, convincingly mm-hmm. against certain uh, certain theologies that are, are bad, like uh, Gnosticism or um, other attacks on, say, the divinity of Jesus. Hmm. Um, yeah, that is a black and white matter. Jesus is the Son of God. He's uh, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Like you have to say, certain things are black and white. Yeah. But the for the fundamentalists, they go that step further, and they they turn often debatable matters into yeah. very black and white matters. And and for example, I'm thinking about a theology of the end times. And so hmm. Zach and I both have views on that, and we're we're pretty convinced of our views on that. But um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that somebody. Um, doesn't take the Bible seriously if they don't agree with us on on the theology of the end time, the rapture, or so forth. Um, hmm. And so um, the fundamentalists, though, will say it's all one puzzle. Um, it's all, if you take one piece away from that puzzle, yeah. the whole thing is ruined. It's just no good anymore. Hmm. Um, and they would maybe even go beyond that and say, if you take one piece away from that puzzle, you don't take the Bible seriously. Yeah, um, they would always say you don't take the Bible literally, which actually no one takes every word of the Bible literally because yeah. a lot of it's not, not intended meant, literally. It's it's, not it's, it's, it's poetic in genre at times and wisdom literature at times, and mm-hmm. um, many of of uh, of the the passages of Scripture, uh, like you know, for example, Jesus saying, "Pluck out your eye if it causes you to sin." I um, I don't. I don't think that people are are taking that literally. <laughs> Maybe a few ascetics back in the fourth century or right, something in yeah. Egypt. <laughs> but um, we take it seriously. Um, whereas yeah. the fundamentalist would say, if you disagree uh, disagree with me on this one thing, mm-hmm. um, sometimes even an extra biblical thing like voting Republican, for example then you must not take the Bible seriously. Yeah, so there's something to be commended in all of this, that there's a bravery here, there's a courage um, in taking stands. Um, I think that the fundamentalists often fall victim to taking stands at everything, on everything, and that's not (laughs) what we're required to do. But then they see everything through the eyes of polemicism, and it just becomes a fight. The whole Christian life is just fighting the, the the great evil of yeah, of yeah. liberalism and again it's that's a negative christianity not a positive christianity i would liken it i would liken it to a fundamentalism a fundamentalist kind of has one tool that's a sledgehammer yeah and there are times when a scalpel is needed yeah you know when when we need to be careful in how we say things about uh various ethical matters um instead of just bringing out that sledgehammer every time and having three Bible verses to quote at someone. Yep. So maybe that's a helpful way of thinking if, if I am a fundamentalist or not, like a, people would, I'm sure, accuse Zach and I of being fundamentalists. People we know, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, think we are fundamentalists, um, mm-hmm. particularly those who are not believers, think we're mm-hmm. probably fundamentalists. But I would hope that there are many things that we can take a scalpel to and be very careful in how we deal with with something and st- and other things we we do take the sledgehammer too and mm-hmm. we just say this this whole thing's a mess and it's got to come down um yeah and so I, maybe that's a little bit of a word picture for helping people determine what that is i hmm. um i think it's it's attractive because we kind of like that hero with the sledgehammer 
Oh yeah, we we like that Especially one. Especially in our day and age, right now. Yeah, right. And so uh, there are pastors. I don't think I'll name them, but uh, who are are becoming very well known for wielding that sledgehammer against the left or against yep. um, liberalism and. And every sermon is is fiery, especially during the pandemic. Some of these pastors yeah. were, um, you know, yelling at their cell phones while they're driving their car or something. And yeah. it's that sledgehammer approach to a very delicate thing like how do we respond to a pandemic? Mm-hmm. And and so um, there are these fundamentalists in the liberal world who are yelling into yeah. into the, the, the cell preview. phone, <laughs> and there are the fundamentalists on the more um, I would say traditional ethical side of of matters as well but mm-hmm. to me that's the that's the big marker is an inability to nuance an inability to say i don't know yep. or to ask a question or to say i'm open to correction here on this yep. thing um but on other matters to say i do know jesus died on the cross for our sins that was the purpose of his his life the main purpose was atoning for us saving us giving us life um yeah those things we do take that stand on but the fundamentalist will equate that then with all kinds of adiaphora yeah so the that's that's one of the appeals of fundamentalism is that it's it's quite easy it allows you to live in an easier universe where you can um especially if you have the the head the talking head telling you what to think about every last thing (laughs) yeah Yeah. implicit faith which is something the reformers raged against because a lot of times in the the 16th century if you were just believing whatever your priest told you your talking head yeah that's all you had to believe um and so no we're called to to be mature and to, to think maturely and that means to think with wisdom which means we're always in a sense arriving at the truth and that's not to say that we're postmoderns, uh postmodernists who believe that truth is relative um but it's to recognize that we are always advancing towards yeah. uh, god's revealed revealed truth and so the, the fundamentalist thinks things are all black and white or or thinks most most things are are black and white mm-hmm. um and so is willing to fight on on those things um I, I remember a book called Velvet El- Elvis by Rob Bell. I mentioned him earlier. Um, he is kind of like a 21st century version of liberal theology. Um, but mm-hmm. the book mentions how so he makes the point that some people see Christianity as a brick wall where if you take one piece out, the whole thing crumbles. Okay, good mental picture. Uh, but then he says, but I don't think it's like that. It's more like a trampoline where if you take some of the springs out, it'll still bounce. Um, so if you take the spring out of the virgin birth, mm. um, it's, it's the, the whole trampoline still works. It's not a big deal. Um, so I would say there's some truth to what he's saying, not about the virgin birth, no, but about yeah. the word picture of sure. we should have a little bit more flexibility in how we th- we think about things. Um, but if you will begin to deny these essential aspects of what the scripture is a witness to, uh, you really begin to cut off the branch that you're sitting on, yeah. Um, and so there's reasons that fundamentalists are are fearful, I think. Um, but to live by fear is is not going to be the helpful thing. And so I, I think that one of the appeals, just to put it simply, is that fundamentalism is easy. Um, it's easy to do. It doesn't require you to have a nuanced way of thinking about the world. Um, it's something that almost can be downloaded into your brain if you have the right mm. information in your head I don't and you believe the right things yep. and you know the right interpretation of the Bible. You don't have to think about 
other people's interpretations, they're just clearly wrong, right? <laughs> um, and that's not the way that that the scriptures work, and that's not the way that Christianity has ever been. Christianity has always been, it's prided itself uh, on being a deeply thoughtful mm. and reflective uh, intellectual tradition if we can call it that it's more than just an intellectual tradition but um it has required people to think deeply and to really wrestle with scripture um and trying to understand it and what it's truly saying yeah so um we we've talked a little bit about what why it's appealing and even within that i think that you can hear some of our criticisms of modern fundamentalism but Hmm. um what other dangers or errors do you see in in the modern populistic type of hmm. uh, fundamentalism. Is there anything that first comes to mind? Yeah. Um, the polarization thing, seeing hmm. people um, not as people, but seeing them as their ideologies. And so you can put people into your box and then you can hold them at arm's length. Hmm. Um, and it curtails your responsibility to treat them the way that, that God has called you to treat them. Uh, you don't have to be as as loving or as hospitable towards them. You don't have to be um, as nice to them. You can treat them. You can get f- fiery and be rageful towards them. Speak ill of them behind their backs. Um, yeah. And just because you see them as as an ideology, that's the dan- That's one of the big dangers I see of fundamentalism. Well, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking of Jesus' conversation with Peter, where Peter says, "How many times do I have to forgive this person?" And Jesus says it's not seven times, but 70 times seven, which doesn't mean literally 490, but um, that really breaks the... So Peter Peter looks at this relationship just transactionally, like they've done yep. something against me and I, I do not... I, maybe I'll forgive them because you said I should, Jesus, because that's on the Lord's Prayer, um, but do I really have to keep forgiving? Um, the fundamentalist really does does not make much sense of grace. Yeah, and really living in hard relationships with difficult, sinful people mm-hmm. in, in in the world, which is full of sin. And um, you could think of all kinds of TV characters like Angela from The Office, who would be kind of the, the prototypical fundamentalist who just doesn't get along with people. And yeah. she, she does as far as she has to work with people, but she's always got a scowl on her face and yep. just really is uncomfortable with a gay coworker and yep. um, other people who live in different kinds of ways. And she ends up just being a big hypocrite because she she can, can commit some pretty serious sins against those other people as well. But um, that that is, to me, a picture of, I, I really don't want to live with other people. And how people talk, yeah. how people think about others um, can often reveal some fundamentalistic ten- fundamentalistic tendencies um, because I think anybody who's listening to this podcast could ask, am I thinking graciously? That's Jesus' yeah. teaching to Peter there. It's, I want to forgive and forgive and care and accept and live alongside sinners because yep. I'm a sinner and I need people to treat me that way. Um, that That really breaks down the 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 walls of hostility that you might say that that Peter was maybe trying to build up a little bit um, in asking his question to Jesus. So, yeah, I, I do think that you're you're right on when you say it looks at labels, it looks at um, law more than grace, 
Um, now in a few weeks, we're going to talk about progressives and I think that they're probably even more confused on the law grace distinction <laughs> because they're so convinced of themselves that they're, they're gracious, even though, um, personally I've, I've caught very direct flack and criticism and judgmentalism from more progressive people because I have, um, stepped outside of their orthodoxy. And yeah. so, um, Anyways, uh, yeah, they are it, Puritans of their own. Stripe. Yeah, oh man. I use that in yeah. the, the bad sense of being a Puritan. The most publicly judgmental people, I would say, in our culture are are politically progressive people. So um, stay they, tuned for a few more weeks. We'll yeah. have to back that claim up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's probably pretty easy to to note that. But yeah, but anyways, um, that is the issue with with fundamentalism as well. Is just everyone is a label. Um, are you um, for women in office or against are you do you believe in the rapture or not um okay then i know i know everything i need to know about you mm-hmm. now um if i've i answered a th- strangely like identity politics <laughs> well yeah but it's it's so often so narrow i think that's maybe the next one that we want to get into mm-hmm. is there are often four or five issues that yes. the, the american fundamentalist will yeah. will consider cardinal sins or super issues and very little attention paid to many things in scripture. And so, um, most times a blatant overlooking of things in yeah, scripture. Right. And, and so any, any thoughts on, you can maybe jump off from, from <laughs> yeah. So thought. we have a quite the list here. Yep. Um, but things like greed and racism often don't come up or care for the poor don't come up. Uh, one example of this that I it's, it's common is when, whenever somebody's looking at acts chapter two, and how the early Christians were selling their goods and mm-hmm. distributing their their things to each other yeah. as any had need. Um, people's first, a lot of times, a, a fundamentalist, a qu- sort of quintessential fundamentalist response to reading this passage will will be to explain that away yeah. before Defensiveness. before yeah. <laughs> you can say the name Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. They will explain that way away really really quick. Uh, they want you to think, nope, this does not mean socialism. And if that's their first their first gut. Yeah. thing there that's that's a red flag i think yeah um i, I personally don't think it means socialism but mm-hmm. i think it should be a conviction for all of us that wow i i should really care more about the needs of others than i do yeah with uh, glad and generous hearts the yeah, bible says exactly yeah. i yeah. shouldn't jump to explaining this away so i don't have to yeah. feel the moral weight of it um it should be something that we we consider um, and do and f- find ways to do. Well, it's a great example because it shows that for many fundamentalists, um, a political ideology is driving, and that's the filter through which scripture is read, right. more so than, okay, this is this is telling me to humble carry one another's burdens and in, in doing so fulfill the law of Christ. Yep. Um, well, am I, am I really doing that or am I just living my libertarian individualistic lifestyle? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's so often that there, there are those issues that the fundamentalist maybe gets right, like um, something like homosexuality or uh, um, I, I abortion. Even, I, abortion. I, I lean towards a more politically conservative direction. And so yeah, I so think that, that that is a, a probably a, a better biblical way of understanding the world at times. But... I, I always have to check that desire to um, read scripture through that lens um, by just reading it for what it is, um, figuring out how this would have been understood in its day, and reading the whole breadth of scripture. I, you, you mentioned greed very quickly there, but um, mm. in, in a lot of 
fundamentalist churches, you would hear condemnations for those four or five sins that are really bad, particularly sexual sin is often involved here. But but really, you know, Jesus saying, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. The love of money is the 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 root of all kinds of evil and it's happening in American culture and it's pervasive, it's destructive, it kills people and there it just doesn't have that passion that sexual sin does in a lot of fundamentalist mm-hmm. circles. So I think that's really one of the big errors is there's only a, there's enough intellectual spots. bandwidth for like these four or five issues yes. because it's an anti-intellectual movement. Yeah. So um, we're just gonna gonna keep hearing about the liberals and how they're ruining America in these four yeah. or five ways instead of just reading the Bible and saying, well, that's how we want to live. Yeah. So I think to be a faithful Christian, to faithfully interpret scripture, um, you can't think of your, of picking and choosing scripture as like some people go to the grocery store. You know, and <laughs> yeah. they, they go in there and they think, I'm not going to get a cart or a basket. I'm just going to grab what I can hold. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. This is like the fundamentalist who thinks that I just got to pick a few of the most important things, the essentials, and then I can overlook the other issues um, here that the Bible teaches me about. And I think that yeah. progressives do this exact same thing. Absolutely. Progressives will care about things like greed or racism or environmental or, care, or injustice or the environment. And yep. those are good things to care about because the Bible does teach about those. So we have to have a better understanding of how we try to hold all of these things together. Yep. We have to get the shopping cart as it were <laughs> and put all of these things in the cart because they're all true. The scripture teaches all of them. And so if we want to hold to all of scripture, we cannot feel uncomfortable about Jesus's passages about taking care of the poor. Yeah. Um, oh, the minor prophets. Yeah. We are, cannot feel uncomfortable again, again. about things like justice yeah. Um, and, and about the oppression of the poor uh, or about racial issues. We cannot feel uncomfortable with these things. We should we should enjoy them. God is teaching us how how we are to live, how we are called to live. And so God's moral vision for the universe is something we should take deep joy in, even when it confronts us. There's going to be times mm-hmm. where it, it seems very convenient to us. We like it. It makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. but there's going to be times where maybe it's a little bit of a struggle to see how, how it lines up with, with what we've been taught. Uh, we need to always be listening to scripture and all of scripture, not just our favorite pet verses. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're very much related to that. I think that within fundamentalist circles, there's not only an avoidance of issues like talking about the environment, talking about, um, uh, social justice matters, um, but so it's not just an avoidance of those things, but it's an aversion. It, yeah. It's like an, a, because if we, there's suspicion. It, there if too. I do a sermon series on caring for the earth, that will be interpreted through the fundamentalistic lens of Mark's going woke. Yeah. Mark, Mark must have been watching CNN. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there, there's these. I'm going to leave my church because my pastor's right. not preaching the truth. Right. Because um, it's not the gospel. You know, yep. like the, there was a really good article in the, the Gospel Coalition about that yeah. recently where yeah. just preach the gospel was kind of the um, the call of, of many people on their pastor. And, hmm. and so the article said, it is true that you should hear the gospel every Sunday. Jesus died for our sins. You can be, um, it is no longer I who live, but I've been crucified with Christ and, and he now lives in me. Um, I think I botched the quote a little bit, but I, I got the gist of it. And so that is the gospel. But um, some people can use that to short-circuit conversations that are biblical topics like caring yeah. for the earth, the physical world, caring for our bodies, 
mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to be healthier, uh, things like racism um, or being gentle, gentle in spirit. Yeah. Um, I think that the fundamentalist generally is not all that concerned with being gentle so or it's kind. It's like the sledgehammer thing again. Yeah, exactly. And so um, when we just read through scripture and um, we're, we're saturated in it, we're, we're growing in our knowledge of it, I think that is the great um, tonic, you might say, for yeah. solving this matter is read the Bible, believe the Bible, do what the Bible says, both for this matter and it will it'll be the same solution for progressivism in a little while yeah. as well. There's a beautiful balance to Scripture. Yep. Yeah. Um, that, that's something I think that just speaks to me of its veracity, its truth, is how beautifully balanced it is. Um and so if you want to be courageous, well, you should be courageously gentle as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and patient. <laughs> so yep. all, all these things work together like that. That's how scripture uh, is. Uh, yeah. Because it is God's word. We should expect it to be nothing nothing less. Well, I think of um, the pandemic, right? And uh, there were, <laughs> it was about six months in and people were getting really angry. Yeah. And there were some pastors that I saw who were basically yelling from their pulpits about, Every church needs to be open. Every pastor who doesn't open your church is a coward. Like yeah, I'm I got, still seeing stuff like that. I got some of those articles, you know, shared with me. Uh, you would be a coward. I think it was said in a Fox News editorial yeah. to uh, to kowtow to the government's commands for you. And my my thought in response was, okay, well, maybe I should be open to this because maybe I am being a coward. That's that's a possibility. But um, ultimately, I just thought, you know. These are all, all these, these sledgehammer approaches are going viral. You know what doesn't go viral? Patience. Mm-hmm. Gentleness. That doesn't go viral. Fruit of the Spirit does not go viral very well. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, you know, millions of shares on this guy sitting in his car yelling about how Dr. Fauci, right? Yeah. And, um, the Antichrist, and, Dr. Fauci. And the sad thing is that there are uh, enough fundamentalists in America where that is really great in their view because it fits in this box for them. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe part of our encouragement, I guess, to listeners is, is to value that scalpel approach at times, um, that maybe a pastor Mm -hmm. is taking with a passage, um, or with a decision-making process at the church, um, to read authors who are different, um, to read people who oppose us, to watch media that opposes us without the attitude of, just looking for ammo to bash them with, but really to yeah. be open to learning from various sources. Yeah, try to avoid doom scrolling, if you've heard of that phenomenon. <laughs> sure. I think that's what a lot of Twitter is. A lot of conservative Twitter is like, oh, just the world is getting so bad. Look how bad everything is. Look at this post or this video yep. clip. Um, just, just it's okay to turn that stuff off for yeah. a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of the issues with, with fundamentalism is that it, it really leaves in its wake like Angela from the office, a spirit of bitterness yeah. towards everything. And that does not uh, speak to the joy of, of the Christian. Yeah. And well, ultimately, I think maybe the last little point that I would make is the fundamentalist will often care more about issues than people, than the person standing right in front of them. We've yeah. talked about that a lot, I know. But I think that's one of the remedies is to, to know all of Scripture and and care about what God cares about, what his kingdom looks like should matter to us. And yeah. secondly, really within that, to care about people. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we hold to our doctrines um, and we love good theology. 
I mean, we talk so much about theology on this podcast. It shows that we do love to get things right, and that's mm-hmm. good. It's important. But to also think about people and loving people, uh, having respectful conversations with people who disagree, um, it's so often that the fundamentalists that I have in my mind, um, who you see occasionally on TV, um, just doesn't want to get along with people who think differently. And that is not a Christian attitude. Yeah. We, we do want to live at peace with others as far as we're able. Yep, exactly. Romans so, 12. Yep. That's, that could go a long ways in this whole conversation. Yeah. Just people are re- really reading Romans 12, particularly <laughs> sure. verses 9 through 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil yeah. with good. Yeah. You know, like that's Romans 12 as well. So Exactly. Um, anyways, well, thank you for, for listening. It's hopefully been an edifying conversation. We we don't want to be too fundamentalistic in our uh, uh, thinking that we have everything all figured out. And so um, hopefully yeah. we are open to learning and listening and hearing your feedback. But uh, thanks for joining us this week. Um, we are going, are we going to take two weeks off now? I think we are. Or no, next week we're going to record a podcast and then yes. we'll take a couple of weeks off. Yeah, um, I think so. And uh, I'm going on vacation in a little while. So uh, hopefully we can crank out an episode next week for for you during holy week that could be encouraging yeah. and uh for your experience of of that special time yeah so maybe it'll be three weeks before we're back with our yeah with the pr- response uh, episode part yes. two all right well thanks for joining us though everyone and have a great week yep grace and peace you guys